Hello, you are very welcome to the Insider Schools podcast, the podcast where we put all the issues around teaching in Irish schools under the microscope. I'm your host, Andrew Phelan. Tonight, we go inside our schools and examine the crisis of teacher retention and supply in Ireland. Recently, COVID has brought the shortage of teachers to the forefront, making headlines as a lack of available cover wreaks havoc in schools. We have examples of schools not being able to cover absent teachers and classes being sent home as a result. We have principals of schools taken to social media, believe it or not, to find teachers willing or able to substitute. And shockingly, special education teachers being removed from the very students who need them the most in order to keep everything afloat. But of course, this is not a surprise in the slightest. As teachers, and especially those involved in the trade unions will know, this has been coming for a long time and they've been warning about this for years. Enough has been highlighted uh, recently in the media and social media and everywhere really about this shortage. Um, So tonight I wanted to focus on the real reasons for this shortage of teachers in Ireland at the moment. Tonight I am joined by Noelle Morn, a secondary school teacher of Gwaelga and Accounting. Noelle was a member of the ASTI Standing Committee for many years and I personally witnessed some of her very, very valuable contributions in standing up for teachers and in particularly this cause of teacher retention as well. Noelle is also a teacher representative on the Teaching Council. We're also joined tonight by Seamus O'Connor, a primary school teacher and a principal. Seamus is a member of the INTO, a member of the National Principals Forum, and he was one of the founding members and activists of the Voice for Teachers Facebook page. And he, he too has also been a teacher representative on the Teaching Council. And Noelle, Seamus, thank you very much for coming on the Inside Our Schools podcast. Both first time on, so you're very welcome. So I suppose this issue, really what I want to discuss was it's all over the media, it's all over social media over the last number of weeks. And of course, it's the chat of most staff rooms, I'm sure, in primary schools and to an extent in secondary schools as well. And that's the issue at the moment in in COVID times of teacher supply. And it seems to be a massive shortage um, of teachers who are around to cover if teachers in schools are are, are out or have to have to be absent uh, from school. So it seems to be causing a huge amount of problems, not only in, in, in having cover available, but also I've heard recently of uh, stories where special needs teachers have been removed from the student with special needs and put into uh, classes that are, are mainstream. In other words, children are losing their supports because there's no cover available. So I just wanted to kind of touch really on the issues around this, around teacher supply, not only now in COVID times, but of course we've been involved, the three of us have been involved in the unions for a number of years. So we know this has been coming for a while and that's, you know, there has been a, a shortage of teachers in certain areas. There's been an oversupply in some areas and, and a shortage in other areas. But I just kind of wanted to touch on that as well. In general, the teacher supply and some of the reasons um, why that might be the case and why there is a shortage of, uh, of teachers. So I suppose just to start it off, I mean, there is well-documented stories on, on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media. It's been in, in the media uh, about cases where schools have, have no teachers. Uh, and and if, if we just wanted to start, start it there, if, if you've heard any stories, if you have personal experience of it or, or anything along those lines, um, then just shout. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I suppose from the primary aspect, and thanks for having me on, Andrew, I suppose the, the, the first key point to make, and I'm sure anyone who's watching this will understand this, that this isn't an isolated issue that's arisen just because of COVID. And I, and I know you said that in, in the introduction, but I think it's important to start off by saying that this is actually, there's been a, 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 a progression towards this crisis, which essentially was first highlighted in 2013 through um, the minister at the time, Rory Quinn. Um, and then it, obviously there, there was a report published in uh, striking the balance in 2016, 2017, where again, it was reiterated that this was a, a crisis waiting to happen. There was, an, 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 there was a number of um, points that were made in that report that were supposed to have been, um, I suppose, carried through by the department and the relevant ministers over the last number of years, and they weren't. And through my own time, uh, with my own work in the teaching council and, and with the union, I've been at stakeholder meetings where this has been discussed at nauseum. Um, and I suppose the only proof that those stakeholder meetings took place was obviously a primary level, the sub search and, and the, the education posts have a sub seeker um, facility which have been created because of those discussions. But fundamentally that has been it. And I suppose realistically the, the starting, the, the, the over, overriding reason in primary level is that the appeal of being out of the country and the, the obvious um, it, the LPTs, the lesser paid teachers, and the fact that teachers post 2011 were on a, a second pay scale compared to the rest of the staff at the time. And that has been a progressive issue all along. Both our union, the IUTO, and your own union, the STI, particularly the STI, have, have raised this issue a lot. And at the, the bottom line was a lot of teachers who were, you know, when they started in primary schools, after a couple of months, you know, they realised that they were on less pay um, compared to their uh, more experienced colleagues. And with that in mind, you know, the, the lure of going to foreign countries, taking career breaks, etc., cetera, um, really took off. And you only have to do a quick Google search to see, Andrew, the amount of um, teacher providing um, services who actively engage um, and, and try and hire teachers for certain countries in particular. And, and anecdotally, we all know, I know a number of teachers and friends and colleagues who worked in let's say Dubai UAE or Australia and come back with their with the, with with the actual deposit for their house in their hand so that is a predominant reason actually that I hope won't ever be over under undervalued is the fact that the lesser pay and the pay scales were introduced and that's this is a direct consequence you know yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and I've actually had quite a few emails and correspondence with, with teachers who are in Dubai and the United Arab Emirates and, and different places around the world who have left Ireland, uh, qualified as teachers and left because of the reason you're, you're talking about is, uh, is the lower yeah. pay. And, and, but it, there's other issues as well, like pension, which we'll get to in a minute. And there's all sorts yeah. of different issues there as well that are, are forcing them abroad. Don't forget Andrew, Can't, Joe McHugh, before one of his last acts as minister was he created a fact-finding mission that headed out to Dubai for three days and he he told everyone um, IPPN at the IPPN conference the president at the time uh, uh, Rudy uh, told the teachers out in foreign countries that should put on their green jersey and come home bearing in mind that was all before COVID struck. Mm, absolutely yeah so um, Noel I'm going to bring you in then so uh, Noel um, you would you you obviously agree with that uh, uh, synopsis that uh, Seamus had put forward there Absolutely, Andrew. And first and foremost, to say thanks for having me on the podcast and well done to yourself for the initiative of starting these converse conversations with those of us like yourself who are working inside the schools. I really enjoy them. And the debate, the quality of the debate has been e excellent today. So I hope I don't let the side down tonight. As you said, Andrew, um, we have involvement, the three of us in unions, 
Um, I was on the standing committee of the ESTI for six years until 2019. And during that time, I was nominated as an ASTI nominee to the board, the teaching council. But um, to say, and you've mentioned it um, uh, earlier on yourself as well, that tonight I'm here, first and foremost, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher of accounting in Goyalgan, County Galway, and I'm speaking in my own right. I'm not representing the union or the teaching council. My views here are my own. So just, I think uh, I got a timely piece of correspondence today. I think this might interest people. As of close of business yesterday, the 3rd of November, there were 111,756 teachers on the register of teachers in Ireland. I remember during my time on the council, I joined in 2016, when we hit the 100,000 mark. So for that to be up 10 or 11% since then, or you know, almost 12% there, uh, looks very positive. Um, there are 624 additional teachers registered since the 30th of August this year and 3,490 since uh, August last year. And I suppose the question is, if there are, where are they? And why do we have a crisis? And Seamus touched on some of the points there earlier on, and I will concur that some of them are not sectoral, it's not just about primary. Some of them are unique to primary, some of them are unique to secondary, but a lot of what was said there are the generic issues. Um, there is an issue where, you know, when people apply for registration with the Teaching Council at the beginning, we all know that we have to be registered um, in order to be paid from state funds in public schools here in Ireland, that when people do go abroad or leave teaching, maybe for a period of career break or to go abroad teaching or whatever it is, my own sister is, is a good example. She's gone with the last five years. She's in America currently. She's still registered as a teacher here in Ireland. So she will show, as will many, many more, as teachers available for work in Ireland, but they're not actually available. Well, I shouldn't say available, they're, they're on the register. So when I see 111,000 and I hear about the teacher shortages locally and nationally, you do question how many of those are actually available for work in this country. Those of, of the teachers who are not in permanent positions, how many are available for short-term vacancies to cover maternity leaves, sick leaves, and for ad hoc subbing? So I think that is a big question. To go back to what you were asking there about the the um, the the issues behind it, I suppose um, one of the things that I have noticed recently, I was kind of a bit surprised at this because I didn't know what was going on. There's such a thing as teacher recruitment fairs. They set up in the colleges, most colleges each year. It's a new phenomenon. It didn't exist in our time, and. Uh, some, of, some are businesses and some are schools from different countries that come over. Um, schools, it's recruiting for themselves. Businesses, it's over where they recruit teachers for schools in different countries. So there's a commission paid. And um, if you want to teach abroad, if we wanted to teach abroad, we have to go and find out about that. So it was, you know, it wasn't commonplace that people went. But now it's nearly like the, the mountain coming to Muhammad. It seems to be a staple of the, of the college year in many colleges. Um, where this happens and stalls are set up on a particular day and the different organizations and different schools compete with each other to attract people to move abroad with them. And many new teachers are attracted to, to uh, these schools because of incentivized packages on offer, which include full hour contracts, low tax regimes in some jurisdictions, organized accommodation. Many teachers are free to take up these positions in their early careers before they settle down at home, get married and so on and uh, take out mortgages. So this means many of the numbers of teachers we hear about being trained each year and who are registering each year on the Irish Register aren't actually in our workforce. 
the subsequent September to be available for work in the schools. So I'm conscious I'm talking there for a few minutes, Andrew, but I'm, I'm happy to come in with a few of the other pertinent issues that I think are affecting teacher supply later on. Yeah, Noel, you're dead right. And it, again, it, it's not only uh, from my experience, uh, I obviously don't have the facts and figures in front of me like you. I'm just a, a joke soap who <laughs> goes to work and goes home and I don't really study this stuff. But from my own experience, it's not just uh, teachers who are traveling abroad. For example, I go down to Liffey Valley uh, and I've met teachers, uh, past pupils of mine who have qualified as teachers are registered with the teaching council are working in Starbucks, are working in Tommy Hilfiger. So it's, it's not that they've just all gone abroad. They, uh, and they've, they've, they've looked elsewhere uh, for jobs because they've looked at the money and they've looked at the pension. Uh, they've looked at, and I think it's another issue as well, is the hours uh, that teachers are offered. They, they've done this thing way back where when I first qualified, you got a job. So you got a teaching job. So I got a PE and a, a geography job, let's say, right? And that was it. There was no debate or whether it was 10 hours or whether it was eight hours or whether it was six hours. I just got a job and it was the it was the it was the full full paid job, right? Now that's 20 years ago, 21 years ago, even getting old now. But um, but then they changed that to this hours culture where you, you could pick up three hours of, of geography here or or four hours of PE here, and then you know you have you have seven hours and then you're trying to work all the time to this contract. So I think that as well has led to teachers who are qualifying, looking around for years for a position. They're getting a few hours in a school here. They might get 11 hours in a school, two hours up the road. Uh, and, you know, they're just weighing this up and going, do you know what? I'm just going to work in the sports shop down the road because if I have to go two hours away and then pay for accommodation and pay for everything else and only on a few hours, it's just not worth it. Uh, so, to me, we can talk about equal pay, and I absolutely agree, and I fought for equal pay my whole time in the union. Uh, there's a huge other issues as well as that one. And that, that hours culture for me is massive, uh, where they're on a few hours. Yeah, Noel, go ahead. Yeah, um, just to come in on that, uh, Andrew, I've often heard it referred to in our own union and elsewhere as the hours culture. And as you say, it wasn't there in our time, and we're mid-career people at this stage. It's, mm. it's not that we're um, in the system for 40 years either. Um, it is, has arisen and has been proven as a major barrier to teacher retention in second level. Um, hopefully most situations, Seamus will know more about this, that, uh, but it's my perception that normally a teaching job within primary is a full job offer. You know, you have your class or whatever, full hours. Um, the worst case scenario that I have come across and I've come across it more than once is where a teacher is needed maybe for a specialist subject like art in a small school where there wouldn't necessarily be art in every single year group or whatever and the school is doing its best trying to provide it. You have a teacher in on 40 minutes a day for five days in the week. There, it wouldn't be worth their while paying childcare. Some people do it, some people leave it, but it's very understandably um, understandable why. And because of timetable and constraints in secondary, because subjects are timetabled at the same time, you're either doing art or chemistry or counting or whatever it is, um, the, the, the timetable cannot be arranged to suit the person as in to give them 40 minutes each morning. It's, it can be random across the day. Um, it's not unusual for non-permanent teachers to be contracted for eight hours, 11 hours, 14 hours. And because it involves working five days a week, teachers in these situations are often basically hanging around waiting between one class and their next class might be two hours later. And they're not in a position to manage to maximize their day efficiently because and because they're only working partial hours, they're only earning partial uh, salary. And it does get to the point that this is so disillusioning that it becomes a reason to, to leave the system. It's my own view that it would help the system greatly if schools were compelled 
to advertise full hour positions in the first instance where possible. It is commonplace for schools to advertise less than full hours, often so as to avoid a situation where applications are restricted due to a subject combination. Often potential teachers have one subject but not the other in a two subject job advertisement so they don't apply. It's not uncommon for schools to split jobs into two halves and to advertise, let's say, half hours in Irish, half hours in accounting um, to maximize applications to secure teachers. But the downside to this is teachers being on half hours and half salaries. Again, it breeds disillusionment and has led to teachers leaving the system and changing careers. There's acute shortages in secondary in particular subjects. The more major ones being home economics, Gaelga, and some of the foreign languages. I don't want to be leaving out any subject, but they're the most ones that come to mind. Um, but I'm sure there are others. It's often to get difficult to secure teachers for these particular subjects in schools. Some of the languages um, are uh, people with that are trained in languages have better options open to them, um, many of which offer full hour contracts, better salaries to teach, and better promotional opportunities. A friend of mine is a newly uh, appointed deputy principal. It's their second year in a school. It's a rural school of about 300 students. She tried and tried and tried to get a teacher of Gaelga this year. Um, I know she went and she contacted all of the colleges uh, within a certain radius, which was two or three, um, for the people who had graduated this year to see, you know, if there was a way, mechanism for contacting them and so on. Could not get anyone. And now she has to, she's teaching, it, it, Irish happens to be her own subject. So she's teaching the fifth years and sixth years and other people were able to kind of bail out and help out with the juniors, but they wouldn't have had enough Irish um, for the senior uh, year groups. That is not uncommon. That's the way it is. And it's a huge, huge problem. And these are just temporary bailouts, but we have a huge problem until it's sorted. I think that's where we, we, we need to focus is to try and solve this situation which can only be described as a crisis at the moment yeah and it's been building as Seamus said it's COVID has just shone the torch on it and they're hoping really that when COVID goes away and um, that this problem that we're reading about in all the papers and the newspapers will also go away which which it won't because it's getting worse year on year this these shortages and Seamus I want to bring you back in and I suppose in your role in, in the Irish Principals Forum and that what are you hearing at a primary school level um, in terms of, is there any stories, is there anything that you can, yeah. you know, that you, can, you can shine a light on for us what is actually happening in primary schools? Because well has done quite well in secondary. Yeah, the National Principals Forum have, over the last 18 months to two years, regularly surveyed um, principals throughout the country in relation to issues to do with SET and sub-shortages. Like one stat would be that 70% um, of schools declared um, that particularly last year in the last academic year, which was, as you know, thrown into disarray because of the, the lockdown, the national lockdown in January. But even at that point, that over 70% of schools had declared that they were using SETs as subs because they couldn't use subs. Now, the only thing that was, uh, the only thing that was of benefit at that point was during the last academic year, uh, principals were entitled to bank hours. So in other words, if you had, on a Monday and a Tuesday, if you had, couldn't find a sub and you had to use your SET, you were entitled to on Wednesday and Thursday use the sub as sub as an extra teacher in the school to catch up on the work. And, and you know that was a huge benefit to children, especially when you're trying to target those who are, you know, every child had a need when we came back after the particularly the second lockdown, and that's fair. But like from an education perspective and a social difficulties that were raising, to have that extra body in the school for those two days was vital in that example that I was giving. 
Um, I, I know that uh, very recently IPPN also surveyed schools and I would say the number was closer to 90% of schools were forced to use SET teachers to cover classes in school, in, in school. However, this year they're not entitled to bank the hours. Okay. And it's daylight robbery to children. It, it, it was a very mean move. It has been raised and flagged, but you know, to this point, the department haven't backed off on that or, 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 or reversed that. Now, going to the actual sub shortage itself, um, I know of a principal in a large school, two streams of everything, 460 pupils. He hasn't had, since September the first, he has not had all of his teaching staff in on a, on, on a, on a single day. That's due to sicknesses and so forth let alone the fact that, as you know, Andrew, in schools like CPD and things like that are still continuing for, school, for teachers anyway. And then you drop it where you have release days and release hours that need to be married up to substitute cover so that the, the, te the teachers and the PST team can be released to support their colleagues and so forth, right? So, I mean, at this point, um, he hasn't had his whole, his whole teaching staff, let's say it's 24 teachers, have not been in the 24 classrooms one single day this year. And the stress is every morning or every evening before he leaves, he has to try and find his subs. And look, the, the, the famous the famous phrase that the, the current minister, Norma Foley, is using in relation to subs is there's a suite, a suite of options that principals can utilise to try and find a sub. Yeah. Including using the um, administrative <laughs> principal to take a class for a day. You know, which in fairness, most principals, myself included, don't have a problem doing it was quite spiteful the way that that was included in the most recent circular and how she has said that nationally on a number of occasions. Mm -hmm. At no point did she declare that, let's say, principals, or sorry, teachers or principals in the primary sector who were seconded to be doll TDs, they were offered up to come back in to do a bit of subbing. Do you know what I mean? Look, the, the bottom line is that one of the cures that would have been in, could have been put in place for this was to allow every school, let's say at primary level, um, eight classes is a full, uh, you know, one stream of, of classes, junior infants and sixth class. And if you were entitled to employ one teacher above your quota of eight class teachers um, per stream, you know, giving you a ninth teacher, you know, from a substitute perspective, it would have been relatively cost neutral because at least you would have had that person on site if one of your eight teachers or any of your SETs were out guaranteed you'd fill that role, you, that person would be subbing and would be paid under the subbing structure every day, no problem. So if you had allocated, let's say somebody, a school who had two or three streams, if they had two or three teachers um, over their quota allocated for the entire year, not on a temporary contract, but on a substitute contract, well, that would absolutely have alleviated a lot of the pressure and the stress, you know? Um, bearing in mind that principals are at the point where they are gonna have to send classes home. And there was a discussion in relation to, oh, you know, schools could be sued for sending classes home, you know, for depriving children of their education. Realistically, that would be hard to do. However, schools will absolutely be, uh, can be sued if they have a class, particularly first or second class, who are sitting there for a whole day with no supervision or being supervised by inappropriate individuals such as SNAs who shouldn't have that role. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's truly shocking, like, you know, and you mentioned there the suite of measures. I, I wonder if the minister envision, you know, uh, principals taking to Twitter in desperation to find a teacher. Yeah, you know, to advertise both. Well, Andrew, like the, the, the greatest kick of our, to our profession, both at primary and secondary level, at the end of the day, there's, there's roughly 4,000 primary and secondary schools in this country. So there's 4,000, I suppose, principals, and then you've the deputy principals and the middle management structure underneath that. Those individuals are currently keeping the country going. They're keeping the economy going. Because if schools fall down, the whole country will shut down again. And we know that, and that's the reality. But 
when you have a minister for education and as bad as previous ministers were, at least none of them overtly um, insulted principals and the profession in general, right? She came on the national airwaves 10 days ago and said there is no subbing crisis in this country. There is none. There is none. And she was quite adamant about that and then went on to declare about and discuss about this suite of supports that are there for principals to find subs. And the reality is, if you go through all of them, including utilising your administrative principal, you're still in the same position. Look, at primary level, you might get somebody for a day or two, but if they get a week in another school, or two weeks in another school, they're gone. And then, do you, know, do you understand my point? So that's and why you can't, you can't blame them for that either, you know? Yeah, no, and absolutely not. And I act as a principal myself, I encourage them. If you can get two weeks somewhere mm -hmm. rather than having a day for you, but can you imagine, you might book somebody for a day, but then they get two weeks and they're gone. Whereas if you could actively have somebody attached to your school as a, as a full-time substitute for the year, that would be phenomenal. And it would be utilised. There, there, there was no way that they'd be sitting around. Now, to be fair, the introduction of supply panels came in this year, which is great. I'm part of a supply panel. I'm not aware of our, our my secondary colleagues aware of what that means. But fundamentally, there is a, an app which one base school controls. Usually it's the largest school. And, and they have three teachers who, who are not employed to work in the school, but they're employed as supply, supply panel teachers to work in, let's say, the, the, as in the substitute capacity amongst 10 to 15 other schools. Fair enough. Now, in fairness, that is a good idea, and that's grand. Here's the issue, okay? So if you go to book your teacher, you know, there's three teachers between 15 schools, first of all. Okay. So if I go looking on the app, do you think I'm going to find the teacher tomorrow? No. It's a huge benefit for future engagement, such as somebody who wants EPB days, somebody who's doing drutter days. That's per it's perfect for that because the 15 schools can tease out the three teachers per day and easily book them well in advance. But when you're in an emergency, and bearing in mind in my position, the worst time to be a principal is seven o'clock on a Sunday evening because that's when the calls and that's when the text starts. And that's when you start making your substitute calls, okay? And fundamentally, sometimes you'll win, sometimes you'll lose, you won't find anyone. At the minute, you'll lose every time. You won't find anyone, right? Now, a lot of schools, what they've done is they've taken to, at primary level again, and apologies, I know I'm going on, but a lot of schools have 10 to 15 release days in the year for their deputy principal. And what they're doing is booking a sub for the Monday for the deputy principal's release day, and then if somebody is sick, well, they just kind of change it up so that they have a sub there and then hope to keep them for the week. But again, it doesn't work as easily as that a lot of the time. And, and my final point around that is imagine if you just had the substitute that was allocated to your school for the year. And if you two streams of classes, you two substitutes allocated to you for the year. Again, it would obviously be cost neutral because, as I've said, every school is having a lot of extra additional, sorry, additional absences at the minute because, look, we're all we're all colleagues. We're all, we all know that if we have a very sore throat or we have any of the symptoms of COVID, we are not to attend school, and rightly so. But you do need somebody then to 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 mind those classes. And something something like that, I'm, I'm thinking obviously from trade union point of view and, and a teacher point of view, something like that would, would be better and beneficial for the substitute teachers. Well, it's not ideal to be a substitute teacher for your life and float around different schools, but no. but something like that, at least they would have the guarantee that they're in this school, they have to pay from this school, rather than looking around for work every single day or every week or every month. You know, it's something that, that would be more secure, that they're, they're paid whether they're called on or not, really, I suppose, in the school to stay there. Yeah, but, Andrew, to be fair, then, because there's kind of three to four times more primary schools and we're a bit more clustered, like I'm in a girls' school, the boys' school is a quarter mile down the road, yeah. and I have one stream of everything and he has one stream of everything. 
there might be times when he has two or three individuals out in a day. I could send my sub down there and vice versa. There's a, look, there's a load of ways around it. I'm assuming one of the negatives to this is that they that the, the union or the INTO would feel that this would, you know, panel rights and panel time and so forth at primary level, that this would be would you know, instigate a panel uh, panel time issue, which then would mean you'd have double the amount of people on panel the next year and so forth. But I do think it, because this is an emergency, you could do a lot of emergency issue, um, uh, arrangements and I issue emergency criteria for this particular time period, you know? So, yeah, Noel, you want to come in? Yeah, yeah, sorry, Andrew, if that's okay. Just to add to what Seamus was saying there, um, like, and Seamus, it's something you mentioned yourself earlier on, you know, that this has been highlighted uh, within the education circle as a problem that was going to worsen uh, with the last number of years, I think it was 2013, um, you mentioned there that there was a, a, the first kind of real talk about this, but it really wasn't hitting the media. And what's very interesting now is I was looking up the papers there today, I had to do this podcast and there were um, there was an article on Monday, November the 1st, the day returned to school. Uh, there was articles run in both the Irish Independent and the Irish Times on this issue. And the, the heading in the Independent is hundreds, hundreds of substitute te teacher jobs created to ease crisis. And in the Times, colleges asked to make trainee teachers available to ease mm. supply crisis. Now, if you read that and you didn't read the meat of the article, you'd be, you might be under the impression that the things are improving, but they aren't really. But the thing I found very interesting about it is both papers refer to the situation as it should be referred to, as a crisis, because for a long time, there was a reluctance to use that word and to highlight that things are as bad as they are. And it's very important that people realize that it isn't, uh, this has not come about by, uh, because of COVID. Things are exacerbated all right because of, you know, teachers being amongst uh, workers like everybody else who, you know, need to isolate and particularly back when we weren't vaccinated and so on and or were close contacts and so on. But this problem has been brewing and it has worsened, worsened, worsened. And Seamus, I know that in primary schools, I don't know the exact facts and figures on this, but I know there was a huge surge in the demographics um, uh, and that in, in a number of years ago and that that impacted hugely on primary schools and now that things seem to be moving towards secondary so what was your problem is now going to become a problem further up the line um, and we'll have increasing teacher supply problems for a number of years at secondary unless there is some resolution to this. Yeah, and I was going to go there. That's where I was going next, uh, Noel. What you mentioned there, I was going to ask you your opinion on on, on this idea that they were asking colleges to free up uh, students. Now, I done my teacher training in England. I remember specifically at the time when I, I was going to union meetings within the schools themselves. When you know you were doing your teaching practice or whatever, and you were going along to the the union meetings uh, in the staff room. And they were talking about this issue and what was actually happening at the time in England is they were turning around because it was obviously a huge short supply for the same reasons that there was here. There's an attack on salary, there's an attack on pensions, there was this whole hours based thing. It's, it's funny in Ireland how we seem to copy England in everything, in curriculum and everything, and you can see that happening a lot. But I remember at those union meetings I'm talking, they were going to pay uh, student teachers six grand a year in the subjects that there were short teachers. And I remember from the union meetings, people were going crazy about this. They were saying, well, that's not going to solve anything. It may plug a gap for a while, but the reality 
according to those teachers, and I agree with them actually, thinking about it now and watching what's happening here now and watching the solution being offered here now, I'm wondering is this solution that they're offering now for COVID, like everything else in COVID is deemed to be more long-term, you know, and this is the way they're going to go with things. And of course, if that is the case, it means they get to pay, let's say in England, for example, they get to pay a teacher six grand to do their, their teacher training, whatever it is for that year in a subject. And then that's that six grand off the books. They no longer have to worry about it. Uh, which means that keeps they can keep teacher wages low. They don't have to pay better pensions. They don't have to increase uh, decrease pupil teacher ratio to make more jobs available. They don't have to do any of that. They just pay somebody in college the four or five grand for the year that they're in it or the two years in this case. And um, but I'm sure it'll probably be just their second year PMEs they'll have uh, putting out. But you know, what do you think of that idea? You know that 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 this is this is their solution to the problem. Um, I might come in on that, Andrew, just a bit of background information on it. There was a, a protocol for exceptional substitute teaching and supervision um, issued this year um, by the, the Teach Council were involved in these talks. That's where I would have uh, picked up this information originally. And uh, the protocol for the filling the substitution requirements, it's solely with the, for these exceptional circumstances that we are in. Um, it doesn't set a precedent and can't be viewed uh, as a long-term strategy um, because a, in fairness to ITE, the, the initial teacher education uh, colleges and programs within colleges, um, they're very well run. Um, there is a, the, the, there's always a contentious debate about the, the teacher training for secondary that have moved from a higher diploma of one year um, to a two-year PME. Um, I won't comment on that, uh, just in, in, in terms of what I'm talking about here, but what was decided upon is that uh, there will be kind of a, you know, a, I suppose, it, steps in a process that you would first look, if you need a, a sub, that you'd first look to register teachers in the appropriate sector on part-time hours in the school who may have capacity to teach the classes. Then, if that couldn't be fulfilled, register teachers for the appropriate sector who were not in full or part-time employment. Thirdly, register teachers who were job sharing, and that is a new thing. It wasn't possible previously for job sharing teachers to sub in primary. Seamus will, will enlighten us more on this, but uh, to my knowledge of it, just from friends doing the job sharing in primary school, it seems to be that you work a Thursday and Friday, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the other teacher does the same so that the students see both teachers both weeks. Um, in secondary school, because we're subject based as such, you can often end up in a, you're very lucky if you end up with a three day per week um, or even a four day per week job share. And it can happen again because of timetable constraints that you might be on first class, fourth class and seventh class. So there are plenty of job shares that would be prepared to do substitution. And it is great that that um, that, that that issue was an issue of payroll and pensions and so on, that that has been resolved and that it is possible for that to happen. And then the, the, the next ask was if, you know, if you couldn't get somebody under that route, teachers who are registered under a route of registration other than the school sector, uh, including teachers who are registered under one route of registration and in the process of fulfilling qualifications for another route. What that basically means is you can apply for registration after you achieve your, your level eight qualification, your degree basically, while you're in the process of getting the teacher qualification if, if that's the route that you were traveling. Now, both papers carried this as well in those articles during the week that there was an ask of the HEIs um, 
that, that they were asked, the, the, the higher education institutes that have been requested to be flexible with student teachers to facilitate their availability for sub work and to communicate with post-primary, post-grad master's degree students to advise them of the availability of sub-work in primary schools also for them. And in fairness, I think that the HEIs, those people who uh, uh, and departments were provide the teacher training programs, they are to be thanked for their acknowledgement that some additional flexibility is required in program delivery, so as to ensure that registered teachers are available to facilitate continuity of teaching and learning in schools but it is to be a short-term measure because it would be the preference in most college cases that uh, teachers, while they are studying, student teachers are not involved in a lot of substitution because their own programme is quite heavy in terms of the theory and the practice and the reflective practice that um, is required of, of those student teachers. So I, I suppose just to put context on it, um, it was an ask of the system to facilitate more substitution for this period, but again, it's, a, it's going to be short term and for the exceptional circumstances we're in. But when we get rid of exceptional, if we're defining exceptional as COVID, we still have another exceptional layer beneath that, which is the lack of the numbers of teachers that we have. Anyhow, COVID aside. Yeah, well, that's my that's my, precisely my point. That's my fear that this measure will just continue on. If they get it in the first place, it's like the wedge in the door and this will just continue on as a solution to the teacher shortage crisis and not look at actually the nub of the problem as to why there's a teacher crisis. They won't do that. They'll just try and use some other, other avenue to, to solve it. Seamus. Yeah, and again, don't forget that, like, the I suppose education isn't unique in, at this point where during um, particularly lockdown one here in this country, um, trainee nurses were used across the board and were explicitly paid for that. At least, I mean, in, in again, through the National Principles Forum research, it became quite apparent that, um, you know, using the sub, uh, trainee teachers or um, student teachers who were in schools, a lot of them were plugging holes as well at the minute. Now, at least a lot, a, no, a large number of them have teaching council numbers so they can get paid under the five day rule because they're not fully qualified. So at least they can get a relatively decent amount of money for, for working. But at the same time, as Noel said, it's it is a plug. It's a plug. And it's. It's an unfair plug because I see myself in my own school, we have two student teachers at the minute, and we are not actually taking lessons. They are at the laptop trying to prep because as you know, Andrew, look, we all, we've all been there, the amount of time that you have to put into your lesson notes and so forth, and you're, you, you're heavily scrutinized for that work. So it's a big ask. And I mean, again, it's either that or it's use um, SET teachers. But I mean, the crisis expansions that all primary school leaders and secondary school leaders are having at this point of, of that, like the amount of hours that's been lost, that's badly needed. Like at primary level, I'm not sure if this exists at secondary level, Noel, but, but the, the department also introduced just to put kind of more pressure on in one sense under the subbing. We are short teachers. We could have allocated teachers properly at the start of the year under that substitute idea, which I illustrated. Um, the next thing that schools were given was uh, the COVID learning and support scheme. So class hours. So every school at primary level was given in all, in a, a bank of hours that they could use where they could apply somebody. It's, it, in my case, I've 230 pupils, which equates to 375 hours of a teacher, which is if you take five hours a day, you can see it's roughly 12 to 14 weeks of teaching. OK, so again, we've I'm hugely fortunate. I've been able to find an individual who was kind of working in my area for a while. And now I, I'm able to hang on to that person for 12 to 14 weeks in my school. She's in the, the scheme started, Andrew, on the 17th of October. OK, 
So in theory, that would have been two weeks before midterm, and this week, this is the first week after midterm as such. Um, I, so that would have meant, that would have been 15 hours, of, or sorry, uh, five, if, uh, 75 hours of class hours she should have used. Only actually had to input her for 10, because the rest of it has been substitute work. Okay, so my point is that, like in fairness to the department, there are certain things that are being allocated to schools which are quite strong. It's just, and it's a bit like when you read the striking the balance report, there are a lot of very good initiatives in it, but the ones that we as professionals on the ground would say, yes, that's the one to hit first. They're the ones that haven't been completed. And just to add to that as well, um, Seamus, uh, the department have brought in uh, this two circulars have issued, well, the issued maybe Correct. In, in recent years and then they're kind of updated year to year. Um, it's with respect to job sharing. We mentioned that already that previously job shares couldn't sub. Now they are allowed to sub on hours that are considered their non-contract hours. And career break, um, people on career break, um, they, they could sub, but they were capped on the amount of subbing that they could do. And that is, is um, no longer the case now. And it suits some people. Some people are teaching away from home and they would like to, you know, get their, their name out uh, in local areas. So they're happy to take a year and to sub around at home. There is a cap of, um, there was a cap of, I think it was 300 hours that, uh, I haven't this in front of me now, but I, I have it written down somewhere. I think it's 300 hours that you could sub um, in a secondary school. And I think it was 90 days, Seamus, in primary schools, if you were on career break. Yeah. But those caps have now been lifted. lifted it's yes. a very, very positive move um, this year. And again, it's a year to year thing. But I really hope that post COVID, that those two very positive moves um, are retained. There may have been a reason not to have that flexibility a few years ago when it was a case that people couldn't get jobs. But now we are at the other um, think that the world has kind of turned on its head. Um, we, we have restrictions on people working in schools. And now that they've been lifted, it will be very positive, I think, if that was maintained to, to, to help us out for the whole period that we have a problem with, with teacher supply, not just for the COVID period. Yeah, I don't know. I, I still have my reservations about some of those things. Like, uh, I, I think like, the job sharing, uh, if I was going for a job sharing, I'm going for a reason, whether it be childcare or whether it be uh, doing a course and I can't teach that for the, the full timetable or whatever. So I, I don't know if, if, I know you said there's, there's quite a few who are interested in that. I, I, for myself, just think of my own point of view, I wouldn't. Uh, but again, similarly with with, with uh, career breaks, um, I don't know, people take career break for a reason. <laughs> they don't want to be teaching. They want to be doing something else. They want to travel. They want to go away somewhere. Um, now, maybe they've taken a career break and, and their travel plans have hit a, a roadblock because of COVID and they can go back in subbing or whatever. But again... Yeah. I kind of go back to the point I'm trying to make is that these are kind of plasters that are trying to fix a heart attack, you know, and I think if some of these issues work short term, then they will never bother, as I said previously, looking at the real reasons for teacher shortage and supply. And that's the fact that nobody wants to go into it anymore or when they do qualify, they can't get a position. It's a few hours. So then they head off somewhere else or they look at the pension. For me, the pension is massive. I know. We don't talk about it really a lot. We talk about the equal pay uh, issue well and yeah. correct. But the other issue then is that the pension is ridiculous. What's after happening to the pensions? Uh, when I talk to some of the young teachers in my school uh, about what they, they're telling me about the, their pension, I'm just going, that is, that's horrendous. Now, I know it anyway from the union, from being at union meetings for years, and we've been 
punching walls uh, about it for years, but it's it's horrendous, uh, the pension they're going into. And to me, like, I'm a, I remember reading an article a few years ago in the, the GRA magazine, uh, you know, the, the, and it was talking about police officers in England, and they were, they were calling themselves ex-police officers. How many times you say, oh, I was a police officer before? And if you think about it, actually, when you go to England, if you're over there on a stag, you're at a football match, you're talking to someone in a pub or whatever, and you're saying, oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, yeah, I used to be a teacher. Something you hear a lot in England is I used to be a teacher. And it's, see, I just think that that's the way they're looking at education in Ireland. So to me, I know I probably have my tinfoil hat on here, but it seems like they've cut salaries, they've cut pensions, they've made it hours based and they're increasing workload. Uh, and it just me- seems to me like it's not something they envisage on somebody going into for life. They envisage somebody coming out of college, teaching for a few years and then going off somewhere else, a, a different career. And to me, that seems that's what's, what's happening here uh, in in Ireland. Um, it's, it's very strange. But anyway, look. Yeah. I think and Andrew, did, I suppose yeah. go back to what you're saying there about you know the core issues. Just to, to add a few more into the mix. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not given a, a view on this here, but I'm I'm repeating what has been said to me by many people. But there are mixed views on it. Is the fact that the one year HDIP became a two year PME? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very likely a much better quality course, but. What is being said a lot is that we need diversity in teaching. We need that it's not kind of considered your, you know, people from a certain background, white collar uh, background job, um, middle class people. We need diversity. We need people from from every class. And the fact that it is it can be a deterrent for a lot of people when they they do a three year degree and then there's a t- two year PME because there's two costs in that. That the cost of the that additional year in college. But it's also an opportunity cost that people are not um, getting the chance to earn in that second year, which in our time when we did the dip and the one year dip, then what's now a second year PME was our first year working and we were earning salary and not paying those fees. So that is an issue and um, it it, it just does need to be highlighted. There is a move I know towards uh, providing more concurrent teaching degrees, basically where, you know, your your teaching qualification is part of your degree. And I know a lot of those are four years. So that that should be helpful towards um, teacher supply coming down the the, the lines. Yeah, that's um, that's what mine was like that. P is like that. P is, is be, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was it like that in England as well? Andrew? It you was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we, we had a teaching practice right throughout the four years and first year, second year, third year and so on. And then you yeah. came out of it then, yeah, with your yeah, yeah. teacher status or whatever. And then the other issue then, Andrew, is um, the, there's very few promotional opportunities in teaching compared with other um, professions, other careers out there. Uh, there's a certain middle management structure and uh, one or two uh, senior management um, posts in each school, unless you're very big, in which case you might have two deputy principals or three. And they normally only come up as, as teachers retire. And many teachers retire without ever having had the opportunity to become involved in the management instructions in schools. And this is not the case in other work choices. CIDs and permanent positions were reduced in time, which was a very positive move with an entitlement to a permanent post when you're offered your, uh, after being offered a fifth contract. That was the case from 94 on. And then it was changed to being offered uh, a third contract. Um, so while, you know, it, it might look easier to get into the system in one way, um, there is the problem that when you're in, you can become stagnant very fast and not be able to, to move on. I, I, I do think, Andrew, that to be fair, one thing that should be learned from this evening's discussion is that there is a crisis at secondary level in relation to certain um, um, subject areas, right? 
And then as Noel said, the demographic is going to rally over the next five years. There's going to be a massive surge of numbers going into secondary schools. Where are secondary teaching unions? Where are the secondary schools going to find the teachers? I'm not sure. An issue in relation to diversity at primary level, obviously, which doesn't overly apply to secondaries, is the Irish. So you have a lot of teachers in this country who are not qualified in Ireland, who are qualified from different jurisdictions and so forth. And the qualifications may marry across to ours. However, because you have to teach Irish in the classroom and Irish is part of, of your qualification, that immediately rules out a huge number of people. Now, I'm not saying that that's a discussion that I have an opinion on one way or the other, but it's an area that has never been discussed properly where we're at in relation to that. I know it's our national language, and I, again, I'm not detracting from that, but this is a discussion that needs to be had at primary level because it is impinging on any form of um, non-Irish individuals working in our in our primary sector. And again, diversity is a very good thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. If it's okay before we leave this, there's just two or three other points I wanted to bring up, Andrew, because I'd be annoyed with myself if I don't say it afterwards. Just with respect to the the, the reasons for the, the teacher supply, it's one you mentioned yourself earlier on, it's the, the whole issue of lesser pay. I read recently that post-primary teachers starting this year, 2021, would still be down on average 5,000 per annum for the first 10 years teaching. And in the second year, 10 years, the gap narrows to an average of losses of 2,000 to 3,000 per year. Now that is significant. And as I've often heard um, said at debates on this issue, um, uh, we all support equality, but two workers perform the same work on different pay scales is a problem. It's not different pay, it's different pay scales. Um, and that there is no such thing as a little bit equal. You're either equal or you're not. There's another phenomenon that, again, wouldn't have existed a number of years ago. There are Facebook pages, or I shouldn't say Facebook as such, but social media um, pages, such as transitioning out of teaching, where teachers are advising other teachers um, for ways to move into different careers for the various um, reasons that we have mentioned here. Um, there, there were often teacher families. I come from one of them myself. My granddad was a principal, ma'am, and a lot of my aunts and uncles are teachers. Um, myself and my sister are teachers. But I know of a lot of teachers in, in that situation that uh, from teacher families who were advising their own young people, their own um, sons and daughters, not to go into teaching. Again, it, that, that's not for, for no reason. And another negative in the system that I really think does need to mention is... When people, now this used to be the case, but now it is the case since the CID time was lessened to people um, being offered a CID, a permanent contract on their third um, contract, is that teachers have to re-interview for their positions at the end of year one. And it is happening. There are a lot of very fair and ethical principles out there. And, you know, teachers, it's just a matter of course. And if the teachers performed well, they get their job the second year and ultimately will result in a permanent job. But you hear numerous stories out there of the opposite, where good teachers have been let go in schools. The, the same thing might happen to them in another school and another school. And they get so disillusioned and so deflated that they themselves leave the system. So in effect, we're causing them and um, the system is causing them to leave the system. So I think they're they're. We, we could have another two hours in this. There's a lot of issues surrounding teacher supply, but hopefully we've highlighted some of them tonight and hopefully we can get some solutions. Seamus, you're involved with, uh, with Voice for Teachers and you can see the posts even on Voice for Teachers lately. Never before, I'd say more so in the last couple of months, exactly what Noelle is saying. Um, you know, people, I'm, I'm leaving the profession. It's the best decision I ever made. And I'm thinking about leaving the profession or whatever the post is. And, and a lot of it, 
it is related to the abuse that teachers get for doing their job uh, on, on social media and yeah. everywhere. Now, it doesn't bother me. I couldn't give a shit what people say about me. But no. for some people, it's a huge issue for them. And they, they said they're not going to stay in the job anymore. You know, it's it's not a respect to perfect. This isn't and this isn't a morning growing. No, of course not. No. The context of like my own wife is a nurse. So, I mean, we can't compare ourselves to what they're going through with mental conditions and work wise. However, at the end of the day, and I, I've said already on the podcast, and any time I'm interviewed, I do say this that you know that both primary and secondary level. Um, last January, when we were all asked to go back to school, when we were in, nobody was vaccinated, and we were in the height of numbers, you know, um, it was left essentially to teachers to 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 kind of pull the reins back on the entire country and go, this is not right, this is not safe, and the vitriol that was but that was utilized in relation to our profession across the board at that time was horrendous and nobody defended us our minister for education didn't defend the profession nobody did um and i mean there there is a huge issue there when, when you're talking about trying to get people into our profession at the minute i know this year that nursing there seemed to be a very high number of people and candidates who went for nursing and the, the points if they didn't go higher they were quite high anyway there seems to be a level of um, national pride in, in wanting to get into healthcare to kind of help people uh, and that's and that that that's a demonstration of, of the esteem that they're held in in this country at the moment um, whereas I think that teaching in general has been very poorly treated like as schools we're 90% of the information over this COVID period we've heard through the media first and it's not right as I said the, the change in close contacts on the 27th of September was first announced via Twitter, via social media, via the Irish Independent. Do you know the way you get the Irish Independent um, thing up in your on your, do you know, or or a, a new alert, a push notification? That's how I get most of my data. How I find out most of my conditions for my school and my my workplace at the minute. And it's not right. It's not right at all. And it's a terrible indictment on where we're at. We're trying to at secondary level. We have to try and work hard to get people into the profession because of what's coming. And at primary level, we're trying to keep hold of some of the students who are coming out of colleges to make sure that they want to stay in our schools. But I mean, I suppose even the, the some of the exposure, I, like people are angry at the minute. People are, are very frustrated. People have come out of two lockdowns. There's a lot of mental health issues there and so forth. And a lot of the time, like, you know, in my school at the minute, rightly or wrongly, I don't allow uh, individual contact between teacher emails and, and parents' emails. It has to come in through the school. And the primary reason for that is, in fairness, you know, people will fly an email at six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning in a teacher and just go boom. And the teacher is, is completely destroyed for that day. Their teaching is over. And I found that at least if it comes in via the office, we can way buffer it. Or maybe somebody might give a second element of thought before they actually write down something if they know that the principal is going to see it first, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that there is... If, if our own Minister for Education is quite dogmatic in relation to the, the on a simple basis, there is no sub-shortage, even though everybody on the ground absolutely is stressed out of their head because of it. Well, how is the nation supposed to get behind us as a profession to support the, the people that we're, we're, we're supporting, i.e. our pupils? And I think that needs to be addressed in the, in the, in the, in the grander scheme of things. I think we'll leave it there, Seamus. We'll finish on your on your contribution there. So thank you both uh, very, very much for coming along. I'm sure we'll have you back again, discussing this again, because I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so thanks again. Thanks, Seamus.